Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Technologies like artificial intelligence are fundamentally altering the way health providers service patients. As the healthcare industry evolves, the federal government and state medical boards across the country will face increased pressure to address these changes. Mark Baggage moderates a conversation with David Reed and our guests, Eric Fish and Sarvam Turkanda of the Federation of State Medical Boards and Renee Kwashi of the Consumer Technology Association, in which they discuss the regulatory landscape for AI in healthcare and whether regulations should address specific technologies or overarching principles. My name is Mark Baggage. Today I'm joined by my colleague David Reed and a few distinguished guests to discuss the role of state medical boards in the era of healthcare and technology change. Really, David, it's about uh, artificial intelligence is a big part of this question. So let me go ahead and have you introduce our guests that are here today. Great. Thank you, Senator. And uh, yes, today we're happy to be joined by Eric Fish, chief legal counsel for a client of the firm, the Federation of State Medical Boards. Dr. Sarv Turkanda with FSMB's Board of Directors, as well as Renee Kwashi, who oversees policy and regulatory affairs at the Consumer Technology Association. We're very happy you guys are here today. It, you know, when you think about artificial intelligence, um, AI, you know, when you hear AI, people aren't 100% sure what that is, uh, but it is an amazing technology that's touching an array of industries, but specifically, we're going to talk about healthcare and how it's impacting healthcare and what it could do not only today but you know decades to come and I know there's a lot of experiment a lot of money being invested in this arena a lot of uh, capacity that's people are trying to figure out what's the best use what's not the best use for it and so maybe um, if I can just kind of uh, ask the general question uh, what's going to happen? Is it going to replace doctors? Are we going to see when I walk into my doctor's office, there's no more doctors, just a, a machine there that's going to talk to me and give me my excellent health care report that I'm looking for? <laughs> <laughs> so from a clinical perspective, as a physician, uh, the simple answer is no. Machines are smart, but they're not clinicians. Yeah. They can answer an objective question, but they can't make a clinical decision. I think it's going to enhance cl- clinical care. It's going to improve our administrative efficiencies within healthcare, and hopefully uh, bring down the cost of medical care. But as it pla- is it going to replace doctors? It's going to change how we practice, no doubt. And I, and I had a question on um, just the practical ac- applicability of AI and looking at, you had mentioned that a lot of the uses are on the administrative front, but it's, going, it's moving into the clinical side of things. You know, currently, what is some, you know, what are some good examples of AI being implemented? And then what do you all see going into the future? Because I think that will help to inform the conversation that you're having with these state regulators and these federal lawmakers so that they can understand what it is that we're talking about. And so that at the end of the day, what we're doing is ensuring that, that patients are, are safe. I mean, what we're seeing today, I mean, even in use today, we're seeing it, uh, AI have the ability to detect skin cancers. Take a photograph. It knows how to detect a skin cancer just from the photograph. We don't need a biopsy as often. We are, we're seeing them uh, diagnose tumors within uh, radiology images. So if you're getting a standard x-ray, yes, as a human, we can see the x-ray and we can see the mass, but we're getting to the point where as AI keeps learning new images, it can almost tell us the tumor. Mm-hmm. What I see in the future is we're going to see image-guided surgery, where we're going to overlay or augment the surgeon's ability to see beyond the surface of where he's operating or she's operating. We'll see what vessels or blood vessels or tumors are behind where they're operating. So 
I think that's where we're going to end up going, but that's probably far away. But right now, it's clinical use and detecting skin cancer, diagnosing tumors, uh, creating uh, treatment protocols or suggestions of treatment protocols such as Watson Oncology. Um, that's where we're seeing clinical usage now. But this is, we're just scratching the yeah, surface. This is the, yeah. this is the yeah. beginning. Yeah. I think a key point there is, is how early on, if we can uh, sort of figure out how the law is going to assign accountability and liability in these situations, I, I think there's a great opportunity to see great things in healthcare on this. And that's from the CTA's per- perspective. One of the things we're concerned about is just that, that we're sort of at the early stage and there's tremendous potential development coming. So not only are we seeing what Sarv talked about, but we're also seeing use cases, for example, in the um, aging in place space. We've got companies out there who are using wearables, smart home sensors, and a deep learning platform, and they're able to develop actionable insights for uh, seniors living in the home without the seniors having to self-report. Think about how that changes how Americans age, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things we don't want to see is we don't want to see that kind of innovative spirit stifled by unnecessary laws, unnecessary regulations. Yes, we agree um, um, patients ought to be protected and that ought to be paramount, but there's got to be a balance here um, because there are a lot of things that patients are going to be able to uh, benefit from if we allow it to occur. I've seen some of that uh, senior care uh, in-home technology it is amazing because it is you know proven you know you, you put a senior into an institution their life expectancy decreases even more rapidly because it's just kind of the situation as it, it is but when you have them in a home setting or a home itself and you can use that technology you're creating a much better environment and a living environment but also uh, in some cases uh, a more accurate picture of what's happening in their life at that moment not a you know, a clinical, sterile environment, but actually here's their life, here's what's going on, the things that we may not see every day. It's, it's, it's pretty impactful. And it also, for the families, it creates a different environment for them to engage with their older parent or whoever it might be. And it's, it's, a, it's a very unique technology, as I've seen some beginning stages of it, and I agree, I think it's going to change the way we deal with our older population and their longevity will increase and their quality of life in that ending part of their life will be way better. Yeah, particularly when you look at our demographic trends. That's right. By the middle 2030s, for the first time in U.S. history, there are going to be more people 65 and over than 18 and under. So we're an aging population, and this is not endemic to the United States, but I think the industrialized West, Mm -hmm. industrialized countries are undergoing the same thing. And so... The point is that we've got a clinician workforce issue, which we haven't touched on. We've got these demographic trends. We've got a huge healthcare spend with uh, outcomes that do not correspond with the spend. I don't think we have a choice but to develop, test, validate, deploy, and scale a technology-enabled healthcare, including AI. Otherwise, we're going to be uh, way, behind. Undergoing a, uh, way behind and undergoing a serious crisis in this country. And Renee, you, you, you touched on the fact that, you know, cost is obviously something that everybody is very much focused on. I know specifically on the federal side, but of course, looking down at the state regulators and state legislators, it's just something that you're not going to be able to get away from. And I feel like this is the type of thing that really is going to help to lead the way to decrease those costs while at the same time increasing quality as well as looking toward better outcomes and more efficient um, care with those folks, both in the aging populations that we're facing, but just across the, across the spectrum. 
Let me ask you, Sarv, you're a doctor, you uh, talk to a lot of doctors. Is there is there fear from some doctors what this might do? And then there's other doctors that might be very excited about what this will do. What, what's kind of the sense out there in the medical world uh, about artificial intelligence? I think the general feeling is that Artificial intelligence has really augment our practice or actually help our practice move forward. You know, there's a lot of patient data in, that we obtain daily from laboratory values, radiology, everything that goes on in patient care. It's hard to process that big data that's coming from all directions. And as physicians, this is going to allow us to take that big data and AI is going to recognize patterns that humans can't readily recognize especially medical conditions. Mm-hmm. It's going to help with diagnosis, hopefully simplify treatment also. Eric, you're, you're a, the legal part of some of this. Uh, you uh, are legal uh, in your client federation of state medical boards. Uh, you have to deal with all these boards throughout the country. You know, it's not just that it's a single federal uh, regulatory process, which is also its own complicated process. You have all these different boards that are going to have to grapple with this and how they deal with it in some form or another. Is the regulatory process going to be just trying to catch up or is it also going to impact its ability for AI to continue to expand uh, its use and in, in, in knowledge and sense of how it can be used? I think looking back at some of the issues about technology and healthcare, you know, telemedicine, for example, the past 20 years in our experience, the issue of the regulatory gap between the innovations and the regulations has caused both benefits for the consumers but also harm for the consumers. And it's really imperative that the regulators elevate and accelerate their game to get on top of the technology to know what's out there. Do you think they have capacity to do that? I think they do. Uh, One of the things that we're doing at the Federation of State Medical Boards is with our AI task force is not writing set policies or best practices yet, but we want to educate people Mm -hmm. of what's out there. Uh, Some of the complexity of both the federal and state system has created confusion for investors, for practitioners, for the general public in saying if something is approved by the FDA as an AI algorithm, is it good? Well, it's good for the the product. It's not good for the practice. That's a different set of regulatory uh, constructs that have to be answered. And we have to have these conversations both vertically, uh, sort of federal to state, but also horizontally across all of our states and also with the uh, consumers and the technology companies that are are driving this. Is it better... Uh, let me. I'm trying to think how to ask this question the right way. Is it, with AI, there's multiple ways you can regulate this. You know, as you just described, you can regulate it on the very finite technology that's brought forward, or you can say, okay, here's the five principles. Here's the things that we want to make sure. No matter if you're on a federal level, state, local level, these are the things that we care about to make sure there's some consistency in how it's regulated. Is is that which one comes first, or are they both, is it all just kind of put in the kettle and hope it all works? I think in the past you've had uh, attempts to regulate at a certain technology where something has come up and you regulate for it. Either mm-hmm. uh, there's consumer backlash or um, someone has a great idea of this is how it should be, and you regulate at a certain point. Uh, but I think what we're seeing in this new regulatory sphere is that we should regulate for 
principles. And uh, it's coming up in, in Europe already as they've looked at AI and healthcare. They've regulate on principles. They're sort of a human-centric approach. Uh, there should be a human in the loop at all times. That's uh, something that's come out of, of France. Um, and I think that's where the U.S. might have to be going with its AI policy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just worrying about the jobs and workforce, but it's really what are the key principles that we hold dear for the consumer, for the practitioner, for the regulator. Uh, and we need to identify those and regulate for them, not at them. Renee, you uh, head up a Consumer Technology Association, CTA. Maybe tell folks a little bit about it, but you have over 2,000 members to this organization from a variety of areas that deal with this kind of emerging technologies. Why don't you explain a little bit of that? And then how do you, I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions from your members uh, trying to figure out how to weave this regulatory path this professional path, what's that like and what's the conversation? Yeah, uh, thank you. So the Consumer Technology Association, I think we're the largest tech trade association in the world. We have 2,200 members, and we're proud that 80% of them are small businesses and startups. Mm-hmm. Now, the remaining 20% are some of the largest global brands uh, in the world. We cut across all industry sectors, uh, transportation, entertainment, uh, healthcare. In fact, healthcare is probably our largest growing sector of membership. There's a lot of incredible interest from the tech community in healthcare. Now, in terms of in terms of AI, we are at CTA an anti-accredited body, so we develop voluntary standards. So we are big believers in industry developing voluntary standards. Why? Because if you think about AI, a lot of it is being driven by technology, technology company, chip manufacturers. We understand the technology. We understand what's coming. We understand what it is, what it isn't, where it's going. And so we believe before we regulate, let's give industry an opportunity to develop voluntary standards. We've done that here. We've created an AI and healthcare work group that includes industry players. But I think the unique part of our work group is we also include non-industry players. So for example, the Federation of State Medical Boards is part of our AI and healthcare work group. So is the American Medical Association, the American Telemedicine Association. Brookings, the National Urban League, uh, because they've done a lot of work on bias issues in AI. So to to us, that is the way we would like to go at it and and tackle the problem, develop voluntary standards in a multi-stakeholder collaborative. Let me follow up on that, and maybe, Eric, you might add to this. As you're doing the voluntary standards, I'm assuming there's a little, sometimes a bump with locals who say, or some, some states that say, we'll let regulate this. We, we're not interested in voluntary. I mean, how does that work? You know, because I, I, you know, the movie industry, you know, their rating system, voluntary standards, you know, that, that was their, techni- their way of preventing the federal government dictating their standards of what they thought would be appropriate for their movie te- technology at that time. In your case, are, are you running against some of that friction of, you know, we hear from, you know, a regulator saying, we hear from consumers, they're concerned, and then you have to battle back and say, but here's what we know and how we think we can regulate this. How, how do you do that? And then how does the regulatory community respond to that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And we do see that. But one of the things we're discovering is regulators, consumers are not as educated as they might think they are. Mm-hmm. This is a very complex uh, sector. Um, There are a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different aspects of the technology. And so what we're finding is a lot of folks are not educated. And so we see one of our missions is to educate people 
well, what this actually is and what it isn't. Your first question was, will AI replace doctors? We don't believe it will either. Um, and technologically, we're not even close to being there. Um, and so I think part of that is dispelling myths and educating regulators on what we're actually talking about. And I don't know if you found that, Eric. No, I, I think I think education is is important on both sides, both for the regulators, but also for the technology companies that are doing this sort of work. Uh, and I think Renee's group should be commended on bringing the regulators into their discussions about voluntary standards because there has been a learning curve in a way of well, how certain terms are used, what it meant uh, to a regulator. Certain terms have certain meanings for regulators, but they also have different meanings for uh, technology developer. And we have to come to a common consensus on that. So we don't have that regulatory gap that exists when you have the lack of education. You're sort of regulating in, in, in a gray space and you create... Uh, a lot of dissonance that uh, is really not helpful for any of us in this field. Uh, so I think that that's very important. And I think you're also seeing uh, some technology groups saying, come help us regulate. I think uh, Microsoft, if you look at it historically, Microsoft was the poster child in the 90s of don't regulate us. And now Brad Smith is, is calling for greater cooperation between federal state regulators on issues that are important for technology. And I think the CTA is kind of falling right into that, that idea that we need to be working together for the larger good. So let me ask you, you know, telemedicine in its early, early stage, in a lot of ways, was its kind of first real introduction of new technology. You know, you had instrumental instruments that were being changed, but this was a different way to do medications or do, do service for doctors. And are you getting, are you seeing questions from patients that are just, uh, they're nervous about it, they don't know what it means, but they also embrace it because of how fast technology has helped change in a positive way uh, medicine in this country. Or help me understand that and our listeners, what they, you know, I, I can imagine walking to my doctor, I, he's going to get tortured with this next question when I go to him and I'll say, tell me all about artificial intelligence, I'm going to test my doctor. So, uh, <laughs> but but is, there, is that happening or... Not yet. We're not seeing that from patients at mm-hmm. this point. We're probably in the early stages where we were with telemedicine 20 years ago. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of that new technology. People weren't sure kind of, what it meant. Correct. Right. And we're seeing that now. I mean, even coming to a consensus on artificial intelligence, the, def- the definition mm-hmm. is, not, uh, is not converged across all areas. And that's where I think we need to start. We need to get that appropriate definition and working with CTA, working with FSMB, trying to do that. But from a physician standpoint, let's go back to telemedicine. You know, telemedicine 20 years ago was new. And regulation hadn't caught up. It was getting dispersed. We had 50 states, 50 medical practice acts, 50 different definitions of telemedicine. You know, and it's hard to come to a, a single regulatory pathway if we have 50 different states producing 50 different policies. I think this is why it's so important for us to work together initially. Um, When we did this in Florida, uh, we looked at telehealth and instead of, as, as Eric stated, you know, trying to regulate a technology, we created principles around the concept of telehealth. We weren't regulating a specific type of interaction but say any form of electronic communication, mm-hmm. whether it's video, whether it's texting, mm-hmm. or even uh, through Skype or Skype. Like that, yeah. any kind of technology. So I think that's where we are with AI right now. And patients don't understand AI as it is right now. Right. We, and actually, I haven't had any patients approach me with that. You know? So it's still early on in that time. Right, early stage. Do you, th- do you think 
where where does the U.S. fit in this picture across the globe? In other words, are we, you know, on a one to ten scale? Are we on the ten mark? Are we on the one mark? You know, where are we in the sense of other countries that are starting to deal with AI in regards to healthcare? Where are we in this picture, in the global picture? So, from my perspective, and I'll let Eric also answer it, but from an innovative standpoint, from a device standpoint, I think we're doing well and competing across the globe. Mm -hmm. From a regulatory standpoint, I think we're a little bit behind. I mean, we haven't addressed accountability. I mean, are AI devices accountable for errors, or is the physician that's Mm -hmm. accountable for errors? We haven't addressed data privacy and security. I mean, because if we're going to have our patients trust us with AI, they have to know that their privacy and trust go hand in hand. Right. And so I think we're a little bit behind. I think the, uh, the European Union has come out with some uh, overall uh, overarching views on this, and I think they've started out pretty well. But we, we need to catch up to that. And Eric, I, I, w- I would agree. I think uh, in the EU, the UK, they have really seen this issue and, and gone full at it. And, and where in the U.S., I think we've taken a step back and said, well, let's see what what grows. And I think that's, in a way, a uniquely American way. I mean, let, let the built, private sector innovate let the private and sector see innovate. what happens. Um, but I think we need to have those principles uh, established across uh, all the states, across the nation, uh, but also in conjunction with technology. Because if you regulate for the principles, I think you can still have that innovation flourish. It's not so much, uh, as uh, Dr. Jerkanda said, you know, a certain technology that you're regulating at. Renee, are some of your members, I'm assuming some have global uh, reach. Yes. Uh, are, are, are they, uh, you know, I imagine a global company dealing with the U.S. regulatory process and then them dealing with the U.K., European Union process. What are you hearing from from them? Or maybe they're not anxious to talk about it yet. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good question. I think for a lot of our members, I think they like the U.S. approach. Mm-hmm. Let's innovate. Let's experiment. Let's see what works and what doesn't. Let's not stifle potentially... Um, breakthrough kinds of technologies. Now, we do agree that I think at some point we're really going to have to talk about what I call the Tau problem, transparency, accountability, and oversight. There's no question about that. But I think at this point, I still think we need to, um, and back to Sarv's point, we have a common language. We don't, we don't use the terms the same way when you talk to people across sectors. Um, so we don't even have a common language yet. Um, in order to do some of these things. But I, I do agree that principles are important. Um, I think one of the things we've learned in our uh, AI and healthcare work group is I think there's a consensus around um, AI needing to be human-centered. I think the EU uses the term human guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we do agree with that. But beyond that, I think we would like industry to be given the opportunity to not only innovate but also create voluntary standards. Um, that are informed and informed across various sectors, the tech sector, the health sector, the payer sector. How do you deal with, uh, and I'm just thinking from a regulatory or an elected official position where they say, well, you're taking too, too long. You're thinking about it too much. Uh, it's time to put the box around it and manage it because, and I'll use the doctor's comment, I mean, it's, it's health care, it's privacy, it's all these things that are mixed in. How do you deal with that, and what kind of timetable, when someone says that, what do you say to them in, in, in how long it will take? Or maybe it's not definitive yet. Well, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it's definitive yet. And, and the other problem we're having, I think we saw this a little bit in the, the telemedicine space, but I think it's been exacerbated in the AI space, 
this stuff changes constantly and yeah. rapidly. What you think you know today is not necessarily going to be what's the reality tomorrow and the next day. And so I think we need to be flexible in how we approach um, our regulation. And I agree with a principles-based um, sort of approach because you allow some flexibility built in. I think one of the problems we had with telemedicine is we regulated against certain modalities, certain technologies. They became outdated, and the statutes no longer had a lot of uh, sway in the market. We don't want to do that with AI. What I'm heartened by is there seems to be a level of cooperation across sectors. There seems to be a willingness to talk, to dialogue, to form. If you had told me five years ago that we would have the Federation of State Medical Boards, the American Medical Association, and Microsoft in the same virtual room, I would have said, you're crazy. <laughs> but I think everybody sees why this is important. Um, and everybody understands that we need to lead on this. Um, and then I think um, the regulators and the legislators will follow. Let me ask this kind of final, we're, all, we're about out of time here, but here's, here's kind of the, the big question. So if you could see healthcare today but where it will be 10 years from now with this technology advancing at whatever pace you think it will advance. Where do, where do you think, you know, I'm a patient, we're all patients at certain points of our life. Uh, what do we expect? What do, we, what do you think will happen when I walk in with an illness or something? So I see this as a continuum of health care, but this is going to really improve care by personalizing the health care to you. It's going to know your genomic data. It's going to know your laboratory data. It's going to know your radiology background. It's going to be able to bring all that big data and give you a personalized care plan for yourself. That's where I see it going. And I think it's going to improve efficiencies in healthcare, decrease costs, earlier diagnoses, and improve prevention. That's where we want to be. We want to prevent some of these things so we can not have to treat. Okay. I, I agree with that, and I th uh, there are two other points I'd like to make. Number one, it also could free up Dr. Chikanda to do what he does best, which is heal, as opposed to dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff that he doesn't want to deal with that have nothing to do with <laughs> clinical services. So hopefully clinicians actually do what they were trained to do. That's number one. Number two, I think one of the concerns that I have, and I'm speaking for myself here, is if all we're going to do is take technology and overlay it on top of, on top of an already dysfunctional system, I don't think we're going to get the results we, we need. We actually have to look at how our healthcare care system um, actually operates, how we pay for services, what kinds of services we, we pay for. We, we have to do a lot of more fundamental work in order for the technology and in order for the vision that Sarv just laid out to actually be a reality. Because I'm not sure in this current ecosystem, the way we pay for services, I'm not sure it's possible. Well, I mean, general counsels are known for being very innovative thinkers and <laughs> most, the most optimistic people in the room. But uh, I agree that, in a way, this is going to rehumanize healthcare. I think uh, just from personal experience, you talk to uh, boards and what they face and some of the complaints they receive, uh, from patients is that they're not being treated like a human. They're just kind of a cog and everyone's just churning out, doing their job, but there's no humanization of, of healthcare. And I think that's going to be a huge improvement. Uh, and I also think that this is a, this will bring about, and I, you know, I can only imagine in my wildest dreams what sort of technology uh, some of Renee's clients are developing and would love to see it because it, it's really interesting to me. But I think we have a paradigm shift and it's going to allow us to 
rethink healthcare, how we deliver it, how we regulate it, how regulators approach it. I think it's also uh, important that it's going to help us rethink just industry and government working together uh, in sort of a GovTech type of idea. Uh, I think that's necessary if we're going to continue on uh, as a republic. Uh, but I think you know, finally, it's we have to realize that the window for this sort of activity is, is small and it's growing shorter every day because as long as we don't address it and we're sort of behind uh, and we're not putting a lot of emphasis on this, other countries are, we'll fall behind, but also the technology is going to get right back to that gap that uh, you know, we started off talking about. We, that gap is not going to be helpful for anybody. Well, let me say on behalf of David and myself and the Brownstein team, we're excited to have you all here. Incredible technology. It'd be interesting to have this same conversation 10 years from now and see where we're at. But by 10 years from now, it'll be multiple generations of this technology. But we thank you all for being here and being part of this great topic today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.